The elite remakers of the global economy join the Clinton Global Initiative to talk about building utopia. Vanderbilt hospitals exposed for its radical transgender policies and Joe Biden squares off with Ron DeSantis over illegal immigration. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Do you like your web history being seen and sold to advertisers? No? Me neither. Get ExpressVPN right now at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to the news in just one moment. First, you may have noticed that the economy is really on razor's edge. You don't know which way it's going. People are looking for some sort of safe haven, or historically speaking, the best safe haven has always been precious metals. You need to secure your savings in a tax-sheltered account right now. Birch Gold can help you do just that. Birch Gold Group helps you hold gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account to protect you from big government tyranny. Plus, throughout history, gold has always been your best hedge against inflation. Birch Gold is an excellent way to diversify your asset base. It's something that I focus a lot on when I am looking at my own financial strategy. If you have a 401k or an IRA that's underperforming, just text Ben to 989898. You can convert that into an IRA in precious metals right now. Birch Gold Group has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Countless five-star reviews, thousands of satisfied customers. Text Ben to 989898. Birch Gold will send you a free information kit on diversifying into gold tax-free. Take the necessary steps to hedge against inflation today. Protect your hard-earned money. Get your free info kit by texting Ben to 989898 right now. Again, text Ben to 989898 to start with my friends over at Birch Gold. Also, I know that many of us feel insecure these days. Gun ownership in the United States has been skyrocketing. There is a reason for that, but it's not enough to own a gun if you wish to be a law-abiding Second Amendment performing citizen. You actually need to know how to use it and how to protect yourself and how to defend yourself in case, God forbid, you actually do have to use it. This is why I am a member of the U.S. Concealed Carry Association, and you should be as well. Right now, the USCCA is giving you a free concealed carry and family defense guide and a chance to win $1,000 to buy a firearm to protect yourself and your family. 100% free. Just text BEN to 87222. In this 58-page defense guide, you will learn how to detect attackers before they see you, what the USCCA has learned about school shootings, equipment and training basics about the law and justice systems, how to responsibly own and store a gun, particularly if you have small children, and a whole lot more. Text Ben to 87222 for instant access to this free guide. Enter for the chance to win 1000 bucks to put toward a firearm to protect your family. Text Ben to 87222 right now. Again, text Ben to 87222 to get started. You got to protect yourself with more than the firearm. You got to know how to use it, how to defend yourself, and... You have to have the legal resources at your disposal in case, God forbid, you have to fire a gun. Text Ben to 87222 to get started with the USCCA. Well, there was a theory in Marxism that suggested that capitalism was the source of all imperialism. This is a theory that was attributed to Vladimir Lenin. He wrote an entire book titled Imperialism. The idea was that capitalism inevitably descended into a form of imperialism because you needed new capital markets to exploit. You need to exploit labor abroad. So the problem with Marxism, as it originally stood, there are many problems. One of the theoretical problems is that it posited that there would be exploitation of the workers at the hands of the capitalists, that there would be a, a necessary impoverishment of the working class at the hands of the people who held all of the capital in capitalist economies. And this would lead to class conflict that would eventually result in the overthrow of those economies by a more communist society. This did not materialize. And so Vladimir Lenin, looking for an excuse for why exactly Western countries that were free market had actually enriched their workers, looking for a rationale for that, he suggested, well, it must be that imperialism is the way that these capitalist economies have actually gotten rid of sort of their poverty. They, they exported their poverty to other countries in the third world by invading those countries and turning them into dependency countries. And now there is no evidence to back this theory. This theory does not work. There are a bunch of reasons the theory doesn't work. One of those reasons is that if you actually look at advanced capitalist economies, even at the time that Lenin was writing, those economies tended to invest in one another. So European capital tended to actually end up in America or in Europe. 
And what that meant is that it wasn't that tons of capital outport export was going to dependence, dependent states in, in, say, Africa or South America. And then goods were coming back in, in different form to the centralized country as a, as a method of exploitation. Instead, it turns out that advanced capitalist free market economies tend to invest in one another. That's one problem with the idea that imperialism is an outgrowth of capitalism. The other problem, of course, is that the greatest imperialism that we've seen over the course of this particular century is imperialism that is directly connected to government power, centralized government power. Nazi Germany was an imperialist country that decided to invade all of its neighbors in pursuit of a mercantilist autocracy. The idea of the, uh, there was that you needed autarky. Everything has to be internal to the regime. Therefore, we need to grab, for example, oil supplies in Ukraine. Same thing with the Soviet Russians. The Soviet Russians decided they needed to expand not only their sphere of influence, but their actual territorial holdings in order to keep forever impoverished areas impoverished and then exploit all of those labor sources and all of those, those natural resources for the purposes of the centralized government. Hey, the reason that I'm getting into this is because today we are seeing a new form of imperialism. It's sort of a moral imperialism. See, the thing about free markets and capitalism is that it is always cheaper to trade than it is to invade. Okay, trade and free markets make it so that why would you bother invading a country if you can just trade with that country? War is extremely expensive. It's extremely costly, particularly for democracies. And so if you're a free marketeer, what you prefer almost always is to trade. You, you prefer to leave countries alone and then allow them to send you their resources and you send them resources. And this is how trade works. It is mutually beneficial. Okay, but there is a, a form of imperialism that has now arisen on the world stage in which giant global institutions decide they're going to remake a bunch of other countries in their own image, not in order to spread freedom or capitalism or free market ideas or individualism, but in order to spread a vision of utopia. And this is what you are seeing increasingly from capitalists. You could see why today's left might look at top level free marketeers like Larry, Larry Fink over at BlackRock, for example, and say to themselves, well, capitalism, just like Lenin said, capitalism is leading to imperialism, it's leading to cultural imperialism, it's leading to economic imperialism. But the reality is that the impulse that Larry Fink over at BlackRock or that members of the World Economic Forum are pushing, that form of imperialism is actually not driven by capitalism. It's not driven by a desire for free markets. It's driven by something else. It's driven by a guilt complex from many people who have made a lot of money through free markets. And that guilt complex means that these folks are actually quite anti-capitalism. They're very much in favor of the system that enriched them so long as it enriches them. But then they feel very guilty about the fact that they have become very rich and therefore they must use their power in order to essentially alleviate the burdens of the, of the world. And what this amounts to in reality is good intentions and really, really bad imperialist side effects. And so you see this most clearly at the Clinton Global Initiative. So according to the New York Times, Bill, Hillary, and Chelsea Clinton have returned to center stage their own. And we're supposed to be very, very happy about all of this. First of all, it's pretty obvious that Hillary Clinton is revving up for a potential 2024 presidential run. That if Joe Biden decides not to run, Hillary's going to throw her hat in the ring. She's extraordinarily visible now. She has a series on Apple TV Plus that we've made fun of at least five times on the show. And now they're reviving the Clinton Global Initiative after shutting it down for several years because it was obviously sort of a corrupt front group. According to the New York Times, after a six-year hiatus, the Clinton Global Initiative returned to New York City this week, bringing together leaders from the worlds of nonprofit, government, and business, with a few celebrities sprinkled in for good measure. It has been an eventful few years since they last gathered in 2016. Former President Clinton said in his opening remarks at the Hilton in Midtown Manhattan, the challenges we face are steep, but they pretty much have been steep for a long time now. And Clinton Global Initiative is always and has always been about what we can do and not what we can't do. According to the New York Times, the Clinton Global Initiative began in 2005 and quickly became something akin to a Davos on the Hudson event, but one with a greater focus on philanthropy, nonprofits, and corporate do-gooding. 
The way it differed from most conferences is that it required participants to make commitments, sometimes in dollars, other times in targets, such as for creating jobs or delivering clean water. Up to the hiatus in 2016, attendees announced more than 3,700 commitments, which by the organizations on tally had helped more than 435 million people in over 180 countries. Well, I mean, it's, it's very nice of them to pack themselves on, on the back. The real question is, is the policy that they are pushing on countries that may not be particularly into it, are those policies productive or counterproductive? Because it turns out that the preconditions to thriving for any successful country are going to be things like property rights, free markets, stable institutions of government, technological advancement unhampered by extraordinarily restrictive green regulations. These are all preconditions to development and growth. The Clinton Global Initiative pushes against many of these things on behalf of many people who benefited from particularly these institutions that, that many of them now don't like very much. They instead want to centralize power in their own hands. So the new imperialists are the globalist elites. When I say globalist, I don't mean people who are in favor of global free trade. Global free trade does not make you a globalist. What makes you a globalist is the idea, the flattening of all politics into there should be some bosses at the top and everybody else should live the same. This is a major problem. Okay, it's a major problem when you talk about country to country globalism, the idea that, that one country should extend its reach over all countries in order to flatten them out and make them live the way that we do. It, by, by the way, it's a serious problem inside the United States when the federal government says that everybody in the United States needs to live exactly the same way, that basically the federal government is the only government that matters and Florida needs to live exactly like New York, which needs to live exactly like Iowa. That's a real problem as well. The best politics are all local in nature because you and your neighbors tend to agree, whereas you and some dude up in New York, if you're down here in Florida, you're going to tend not to agree. Well, that is even more true, like far more true when it comes when it comes to the global level. The idea that there's one global set of rules and it's going to be imposed by a bunch of very, very wealthy elites who have benefited from a system that they now feel guilty about. It's a real problem. It is ignorance of how economies work. It is ignorance about how development actually works. And yet these folks have basically deemed themselves the new creators of the global financial universe. These are people who have deemed themselves the utopian thinkers who are going to fix all the problems. And that's the nature of the Clinton Global Initiative. As the New York Times says, the goal is to recapture that old Clinton magic and see if there is room in a field of thought-leading, pledge-making symposia crowding the city this week. Advisors to Bill Clinton said that in the years since he launched it, he had longed to restart the event. He would tell me regularly when we were just talking before a board meeting. I was just out last night. Someone was saying, when are you going to start CGI again, said Robert Harrison, former chief executive of the Clinton Global Initiative from 2007 to 2016. A year ago, 10 months ago, we looked at each other and said, let's try. Judging by the names of the event, many old friends and allies answered the call, including philanthropists, Lorraine Powell Jobs, Melinda French Gates, Secretary Xavier Becerra of the Department of Health and Human Services, state governors, corporate chief executives, the chairman of the Security and Exchange Commission, and the director general of the World Health Organization. And then you had a bunch of people who were making commitments ranging from building soccer fields in underserved communities to making bricks out of volcanic ash. Okay, but it really is the thematic that, that matters the most here. And so when you listen to a wide variety of very powerful global financial officials, people in both governmental and non-governmental organizations, in the corporate world and in the nonprofit world, when you listen to these people talk about how they wish to remold and reshape the world in their own image, you have to realize, again, Imperialism is the outgrowth of utopianism. It is not the outgrowth of free markets. And very often it cuts directly against free markets. So for example, at the Clinton Global Initiative yesterday, the UN's ESG czar, that is the Environmental Social Governance czar, a person named Damilola Ogunbi, talked about how there are endless supplies of money to just remake the world toward an ESG transition. Now, ESG is basically code for equity, 
which is the, the left-wing notion that all inequality is the result of some sort of deep injustice in the system. It's also code for ESG that we ought to restrict the growth of Western economies. We ought to restrict your lifestyle. We have to make it harder for you to get the products and services you want. And by the way, we ought to make it harder for people who are in developing countries to get the products and services they want, all in the name of sort of a green utopianism, whereby we can make wind, solar, and other quote, green forms of energy more efficient. And we have endless supplies of money to do this. Now, where, where that money comes from, they don't care. And th that's sort of the point. Again, this is not free market stuff that we are talking about. This isn't free market imperialism. This is utopian centralization promoted by do-gooderism. Here we go. First, recognize it's a crisis. And, you know, just to how we found, is it 14 or 17 trillion for COVID? The money must be there somewhere. The money must be there somewhere, right? We're not going to explain how the money gets there. We're not going to try to figure out where the money comes from. The answer is when we spent $17 trillion on COVID, it came literally from nowhere, which is why we now have a massive inflationary problem across Western economies. But they don't care about that. Because again, the idea is that utopia exists out there and we are the wisest people who have ever lived. And therefore, we are going to spread our values around the world. And by the way, they're, they're both economic values, which directly cut against capitalism. And they are, as we will see, a set of moral values that cuts directly against the interests of American families. It's not just people who work for the UN. It's BlackRock's Larry Fink. So BlackRock, of course, is one of the biggest investment firms on planet Earth. They, they run trillions of dollars in assets, which means they have extraordinary levels of control over corporations, major corporations in the United States. Many of them have huge chunks of them in terms of their stock owned by BlackRock, which means that Larry Fink basically says to these corporations, jump, and the corporations say, how high? And Larry Fink does not have the free market's best interest at heart, right? He doesn't believe that systems that are sort of left to their own evolutionary devices make the world better, which is the basis of the free market. The basic, basic idea of the free market is that decentralized knowledge, and we, we don't all have to get in a room and plan anything, that decentralized knowledge, my knowledge of my own life, your knowledge of your own life, Bob's knowledge of his own life, that allows us to freely trade amongst one another and then specialize in the things that we are good at and make the world better thereby to innovate, create new markets, right? That is the idea of a free market. According to people like Larry Fink, it all has to be organized under, under Larry Fink. And so if he can change the incentive structure by himself, using your money, by the way, because he doesn't own all the money at BlackRock, you just like how Larry Fink has invested your money, typically speaking. And now he's going to use the power of your pension fund in order to cram down his own values against your interest, by the way, as both a consumer and as an investor. Here's Larry Fink. Because of the rising energy prices, we are certainly seeing the green premium shrink quite considerably. And so the amount of investment dollars that are going into new decarbonization technology is accelerating. Okay, so he's saying that what we are seeing because of the, the driving up of the energy prices, because of the inflationary policy we've pursued, that's good because it's made all energy more expensive. And we've also created disincentives for people to invest in making energy cheaper via oil and natural gas, through regulations and through ESG corporate governance. Right, by using the power of BlackRock to cram down these rules and regulations self-imposed on the energy industry, we have, we've actually made energy more expensive, which means that by comparison, green energy has become cheaper. So we actually haven't made green energy any more efficient. We've just made everything else less efficient. Now, does that sound good for consumers? Does that sound good for investors, the people who invest with Larry Fink? Does that sound good for people in the developing world who deeply rely on carbon-based fossil fuels in order to develop? Of course not. The more that you have these centralized dolts in charge of policy, the worse things get for people, particularly in the developing world, who require free markets, who require 
free exchange of goods and services and the most efficient goods and services on the market in order to develop. You want to know why China and India are the world's leading emitters? Because they are trying to develop. When you're trying to develop, you do not care about the forests and the rivers as much as you care about how many of your people are dying of starvation, which is their role. Now, as the world develops globally through free markets, the free market will, in fact, take into account things like environmental damage. That's what's happened in the West. The carbon footprint, in terms of the West, generally speaking, has been declining as a proportion of carbon emissions planet-wide over the course of the last several decades. In the United States, carbon emissions have been declining pretty markedly over the course of the last decade and a half because we've become more energy efficient. In terms of how much power it takes to actually power your house, for example, we've become much more energy, even using carbon-based fossil fuels. But the idea here is that if they cram down utopia on everybody, this will make everything better. That utopianism is the real imperialism, the globalist utopianism of people like Larry Fink, of people like the Clintons, That's the stuff that really should scare people. It's the do-gooderism, as always, that should scare people. Especially because it's connected with a real sort of dark side. And that dark side is that if you don't go along with our do-gooderism, this makes you bad. And if you think that what we are saying is wrong and correct, will have damaging effects on both people living in developed countries and people living in undeveloped countries, if you say that, then this makes you actually a, a, a person with evil motive. So that's what Bill Clinton and Larry Fink were saying to one another at the Clinton Global Initiative yesterday. I want to say one thing about Larry that I really admire, quite apart from the fact that he's not a climate change denier. (laughs) Uh, I'm the target of all those. (laughs) He's the target of the climate change deniers. Anybody who disagrees with Bill Clinton or Larry Fink about whether they get to be in control of the global economy is a climate change denier. Now, never mind the fact that there are many of us out here who say, sure, climate change is happening. Sure, a majority of that climate change is probably caused by human activity. It's anthropogenic. But the question is how you mitigate against that stuff, how you adapt to that stuff. And the policies that you guys are promoting are not doing any of that. You're just throwing everybody else's money, your investors' money, at a problem in a way that is unlikely to solve the problem. That, according to Bill Clinton and according to Larry Fink, runs directly against reality, right? You're a climate change denier. You're a bad person. You want people to be living underwater or some such. And, And again, this has penetrated so many areas of global economic life. It's penetrated corporate America. Unilever's CEO, Alan Jope, he said, you know what? The reason that we like ESG is because we can't sell products underwater. Nobody is suggesting that Unilever is going to be selling products underwater. But what exactly does does Unilever have to do with the greening of the world economy via massive subsidy boondoggles that are unlikely to actually have an impact on the climate the way he says they are? Make the case based on your evidence for the people here who might like to do what you're doing but think it's not economically feasible. There is an element of risk and risk avoidance associated with trying to run a business on a sustainable platform. Right now, our company in Pakistan, one of our finest businesses around the world, is underwater. Um, We'll push through that, um, but it's not a great place to be selling food or personal care products when you're underwater or on fire. Okay, so again, the idea is that we can reconstruct the entire world economy to prevent natural disasters. Okay, that, 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 again, is granting a level of control to the CEO of Unilever that does not exist in reality. It just does not exist, which really suggests that this is a, an exercise in self-glorification, that this is an exercise in my values are the values that matter. And it's not just when it comes to the economy. It's not just seizing the reins of a global economy and then redirecting all of that in almost mercantilist fashion 
toward your desired end, which is the opposite of free marketeering, right? Free markets suggest, again, that there will be a gradual evolution of prices along the lines of collectivized knowledge. Mercantilism suggests that there's a bunch of people at the very top of an economic system and they get to direct all the levers of power. So does communism, right? Any sort of economic system that suggests that there's a group of experts sitting in a room and they get to decide policy for everyone, that is that runs directly counter to precisely the systems that have generated enormous upswings in human prosperity since 1800. If, if you look at the history of economics, what you see is that there's very little development in terms of economic GDP growth for about a couple thousand years, basically for nearly all of human history up until 1800. Looks like a flat line economic growth. And then in about 1800, it starts to spike and then it goes exponential. And the reason for that is because of the growth of free markets and the recognition that decentralized control of economies is better than centralized control of economies. And yet here you have people who should know that and they are acting in precisely the opposite way. If you give us power, then we can cram that down on everybody else. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, let's talk about a simple fact of life, and that is death. And this is why you need a will. So don't be the idiot who didn't write a will. And then you have to have the state disperse all of your assets. That is a bad, bad idea. You do not want the state involved in nearly anything about your financial life. God forbid something happens to you. You got to make sure that your kids get what they are supposed to get. Your wife gets what she is supposed to get and all of the rest. Don't let living without a will happen to you. Dying without a will is even worse. Take five minutes to set up your will with Epic Will today. A complete will package with Epic Will provides you with so much more than just protection of your assets. They'll look at your entire legacy, your finances, your medical wishes, your responsibilities as a parent or caregiver. They bundle your last will, living will, healthcare power of attorney, your HIPAA release, durable financial power of attorney in one easy package. Make sure your entire legacy, everything you leave behind is indeed protected and they make it super easy and affordable. It only costs 119 bucks for a single person to create a will. And when you use promo code Shapiro, you will save 10%. So do yourself and your loved ones a favor. Make sure you have a will in place today. Go to epicwill.com. Use promo code Shapiro. Save 10% on Epic Will's complete will package. That is epicwill.com. Promo code Shapiro. Also, this episode is sponsored by the Jordan Harbinger Show. If you haven't given a listen, to Jordan Harbinger show, you're missing out because he features in-depth, really fascinating interviews with a wide variety of figures ranging from people like Charles Koch and Neil deGrasse Tyson to Kobe Bryant, diving so much deeper than any other interviewer out there. It's clear Jordan really goes in the weeds. He prepares for his interviews, not just winging it. He dives into the minds of fascinating people from athletes and authors to scientists and mobsters. Every Friday, Jordan also releases a Feedback Friday episode to respond to listener questions. He covers everything from conventional problems like leaving a dream job to really heavy, difficult subjects like helping someone escape an abusive relationship. One of my favorite episodes is the one where he interviews Yeonmi Park about her experiences in North Korea versus the United States. Listening to Jordan goes great with listening to this show, which you're already doing at this moment. I don't always agree with Jordan, what he says on the show, but it's always fascinating. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening right now. It turns out that unfortunately, the globalist elites who are doing this with the economy, they also have a set of values. And that set of values is a moral set of values that suggests radical individualism when it comes to your personal life. Everybody else is supposed to respect everything that you do in your personal life, no matter how crazy, bizarre, or damaging to children. But when it comes to the economy, we ought to run everything top down. Because utopia really is a bunch of atomistic individuals being able to have sex with whomever they want, but controlled economically. Because the externalities of their economic activity are bad, but there are no externalities to your personal activity. And this brings us to the insane story of what's going on over at Vanderbilt Hospital. So because of the investigation of our friend Matt Walsh here at Daily Wire and, and some of the people who work with him, Tennessee Republican Governor Bill Lee has now called for an investigation of the pediatric transgender clinic at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. This comes after shocking videos were posted by Matt Walsh 
detailing a doctor's promotion of the big moneymaker transgender surgeries. The videos also show apparent threats made against medical professionals at Vanderbilt University Medical Center if they objected to the procedures, even for religious reasons. And it really is stunning material. So, for example, Vanderbilt openly says they have individuals, they've worked on individuals who begin gender-affirming hormones at the age of 13. And this it says this on their website, quote, previously recommended start at age 16, but consider starting as early as 14 years old. By gender-affirming hormones, what we mean here is sex-altering hormones, or at least secondary sex characteristic-altering hormones, since you can't actually alter your sex. So these are sterilizing hormones that have irreversible effects on children, and it's being promoted openly by Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Continue pubertal blockers, fertility preservation and consent prior to initiation. I assume that by fertility preservation, they mean harvesting eggs or harvesting sperm from people who are then going to be made sterile. Meanwhile, you have a doctor named Vanderbilt, Shailene Vanderblumen, saying that they do perform double mastectomies on adolescent girls. And this is a set of values here. Here is Shailene Vander, Vanderblumen explaining. So when we, when we talk about the WPATH guidelines, so in order for our patients to really um, successfully undergo these surgeries, we do, uh, again, follow these guidelines. So a lot of times it's for insurance purposes, um, but we, again, insurance is kind of follow suit with the WPATH guidelines for the most part. So for any kind of top surgery, uh, we do require one letter of persistent, well-documented gender dysphoria by a licensed mental health provider. Um, we ensure that the patient is capable of making uh, fully informed decisions on the, their own. They're the age of majority. However, for a lot of our younger patients, um, again, if they are 16, 17 here at Vanderbilt, um, if they have been on testosterone, have a parental consent, um, we're able to do a lot of the top surgeries for those patients. And you're talking about the excision of healthy breast tissue from young girls. That's what we're talking about here. And they're relying on the WPATH guidelines. WPATH is an extremist organization that does not base itself in science. It's a propaganda organization on behalf of transing the children. Meanwhile, you have Dr. Shane Taylor over at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, who is saying pretty openly when this transgender center opened at Vanderbilt, this is a real moneymaker. They make a bunch of money off of this. Surgery make a lot of money. Um, so female to male chest reconstruction can bring in $40,000. A patient just on routine hormone treatment, who I'm only seeing a few times a year, can bring in several thousand dollars because that requires a lot of visits and labs. It actually makes money for the hospital. And then the female to male bottom surgeries, these are huge money makers. Again, I think this has to be an underestimate that they're quoting around $20,000 for a phalloplasty. There's been different things that I've read that said it could be up to $100,000. Um, Dr. Winokur, who's our surgeon, said that there's entire clinics where the entire clinic is supported just by their phalloplasties. And that is like a fraction of the surgeries that they're doing. So much money to be made in carving the flesh off of a young girl's forearms or the interior of her thigh and forming a fake non-working penis. And so much money to be made. But this is moral, according to, again, our, our great elites, our great moral elites. Christina Buttons reporting for dailywire.com. Remember, WPATH is the group that keeps being cited here by all of these medical centers. And WPATH is, again, a propaganda organization that routinely ignores actual evidence in favor of things that are just not true so that we can trans the kids. 
According to Daily Wire, an author of the Leading Transgender Health Association's New Guidelines for Adolescents revealed they have called Child Protective Services on uncooperative parents who did not affirm their child's newly chosen transgender identity. The World Professional Association for Transgender Health held a session on the adolescent chapter during their annual conference on Monday. It was live-streamed online. Dr. Ren Massey, a trans-identified female clinical child psychologist from Atlanta, Georgia, revealed during a Q&A that calling CPS is a resource for clinicians to enforce the need for affirmation by parents. Massey goes so far as to suggest that merely informing parents a call to CPS can be made might be enough to pressure them to cooperate. The Daily Wire previously reported that the 8th edition guidelines from WPATH indicated that the state may be enabled to intervene in order to assist with the child's transition if parents do not affirm their child's newly chosen identity. Massey said, quote, I had to make a child make a call to Child Protective Services on a case, and the Child Protective Services worker asked me about if some of the issues I was calling about were about the parents not being supportive or being emotionally abusive around gender identity issues. And apparently Massey was surprised pleasantly that CPS workers in Georgia had intervened in instances where parents were hesitant to pretend that their child was a member of the opposite sex. She said, that was educative for me to learn that in my conservative state, there are at least some CPS workers who are willing to enforce the need for affirmation by parents, at least with social transition needs, names, pronouns, et cetera. So that may be a resource in states, provinces, regions, and countries around the world. Again, call Child Protective Services if the parents refuse to go along with the nonsense garbage that a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy. Okay, the, these are values that are now being promoted, again, by elites in our society who don't actually have to live with the consequences of this stuff because they don't care. I mean, many of them are not only involved in making money from this sort of activity, many of them themselves identify as transgender and therefore they have a rather large political stake in this entire game. But when you have, a, a again, a global elite and that elite starts in the West, trying to impose those values, not just in the West, but also all the way around the world, what you end up with is something really ugly, a cultural and economic imperialism that is disconnected from the values of people who live in other countries, as well as the interests of people who live in other countries. Now, last week, I played you a clip of Christian Amanpour grilling the new president of Kenya over transgender policy in Kenya. And this is how our globalist elites think. They believe that the values that they learned in their Ivy League schools that are completely disconnected from traditional morality, because again, traditional morality is evolutionary in nature. And these people are not evolutionary in nature. They are revolutionary in nature. They believe that the burden of proof in terms of morality lies with people who are advocates of traditional morality. It does not lie with them to explain why we ought to change basic definitions of sex. It lies with you to find why we ought to maintain basic definitions of sex. And even if you have a good argument, we just ignore it and pretend you're a bigot. That basic notion, which unfortunately exists among a lot of very high IQ people, I know because I went to school with a lot of very, very high IQ people. Many of these people were friends and colleagues. There's a notion that if you have very high IQ, you can explain everything in the world. Everything is explicable. And so when it comes to economics, this means that you can reshape world systems because after all, you're really, really smart. You're smarter than all those duller plumbers out there. You're smarter than the first hundred names in the Boston phone book. You're smarter than all those people. So you can remake the global economy in your image, knowing what's best for everyone. It's unbelievably paternalistic. And the same thing is true of morality. So the truth is we all have an innate moral sense. Not only do we have an innate moral sense, we also have thousands of years of transmitted wisdom tested over time. Right? This is mostly how we live in a moral level. You do things every single day on a moral level that you cannot justify. Now, you do things on a moral level every single day that you have inherited because they work, because these are practices that work. But if asked to justify those tabula rasa, like explain why, for example, you, that there's something morally wrong with eating a corpse, try to explain it. Well, based on the, the Western notions of consent alone, there's nothing wrong with eating a corpse. This is a point Jonathan Haidt has made. Jonathan Haidt, the, the social psychologist from NYU, he points out that for liberals, for people who are on the left, 
they believe that because the only value is consent, because they, they basically assume that people are disembodied spirits wandering around out there. It's very weird. Because of this, they believe that the only value is, is consent. And then they don't actually define consent properly, which is why they have real trouble drawing lines as to where the line of consent is for, say, teenagers. Well, because of that, liberals will literally shift their positions on things like cannibalizing the dead. And he's done polls of college students. And what he finds is that for college students who identify as left, if you press them on, for example, is incest wrong? Explain why. And you say it's not for reproductive purposes, right? It's not, you, you can't have some sort of utilitarian opposition to incest in which you explain that people shouldn't have two-headed babies because it's bad for the world and it's bad for the baby. If you say, okay, you're just talking about sterile sex between siblings, people on the left have a very, very difficult time explaining why that is wrong. People on the right just say, you know what? I don't have to explain why that's wrong. It's wrong. I don't have to come up with some highfalutin theory about social pressure and power imbalance. I can just say it's a wrong thing. I know it's a wrong thing because we have thousands of years of tradition demonstrating that this is a wrong thing. But for the people who are very high IQ and believe that the world should be remade in their own image, anything that they cannot rationalize tabula rasa therefore becomes immoral. Right? It's not just that it's something we shouldn't accept. It becomes actively immoral. It is an, it is an effect of bigotry. It is simply that you have ingrained notions about human behavior that are rooted in discrimination. That's why you believe all of these things. And so this is all of a piece. Right? The idea that you get to blow up an evolutionary global economy that, again, has evolved over time because of the desires of billions of people being input into the pricing system, that you can overthrow that because you can't explain it. You don't know how it works. It's too complicated for you. When it comes to the pricing system, you just have to accept that people have different priorities about what things cost and what things should cost. But you don't want to accept that because you can't rationalize it. And so because you can't rationalize it, you get to remake it. The same thing is true of morality. Because you can't rationalize most of the moral, most of the moral sensations that you have, because you cannot rationalize data-driven, right? Again, thousands of years of transmitted wisdom. Because you can't rationalize that from your own mind because you come from a set of values that you have decided on yourself. This means that you can overthrow it. And so the real imperialism these days is coming from people who believe that centralized power ought to lie with them and that there is no chain of generations, no wisdom that has been passed down. There is no broad world out there that transmits wisdom through a decentralized and, and highly complex system. None of that matters. What matters is what's in your head. And you're, what's in your, because you are so smart. And because you are so smart, this is why you get to cram that down on everybody else because you know what is best for them. And if that means silencing people, you'll silence people. This is why, for example, as Andrew Follett is reporting over at National Review, Nature Magazine is now demanding that only science compatible with an ideological, fashionable worldview be published. They are now actively suppressing science. A recent volume of Nature Human Behavior says, quote, although academic freedom is fundamental, it is not unbounded. For example, research may inadvertently stigmatize individuals or human groups. In a Nature News feature last week, the author worried, quote, a new ultra-conservative supermajority on the United States' top court is undermining science's role in informing public policy. Scholars fear that results could be disastrous for public health, justice, and democracy itself. The recent issue of Nature Human Behavior says, quote, science has for too long been complicit in perpetuating structural inequalities and discrimination in societies. They now say that they are going to repudiate any research that, quote, promotes privileged exclusionary perspectives. But of course, this is the most privileged exclusionary perspective. You get to decide which science is acceptable and which science is not. When we are talking about the people who are wielding outsized power on behalf of a very minority worldview, this is the people you're talking about. We are so smart that we know what is equitable and what is just and what is true. And we will not allow a decentralized system of science to abide. That cannot happen. We cannot allow that to spread because that's outside of our control. Yeah, this, this bizarre notion that 
the the quote unquote smartest people out there, and we know they're the smartest because they've succeeded in a system that they then despise, that those smartest people then get to remake the system in their own image and destroy the institutions that made them wealthy and successful in the first place. That is the true danger to the growth and flourishing of Western civilization. And yes, the planet, more generally speaking, it is a serious problem. It also happens to be that these people are very unconcerned with the actual effects of their policies on everyday lives. Because after all, when you have utopia in your head, everybody else is either a tool or an obstacle. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, when you're running a business, you get hit with all kinds of interesting scenarios, like what are the meal and break requirements that you have to provide to employees? How do you improve company culture and employee engagement? How exactly do you handle HR? I mean, this is a big one that nobody actually thinks about when you set up a business. And then it is probably your biggest liability if you do not have an HR plan because lawsuits are plentiful in the United States. This is why you need HR. Well, HR managers are really expensive. They can easily cost over 80 grand a year. But with Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just 99 bucks a month. All of Bambi's HR managers are based right here in the United States. They can support the nuances across all 50 states. Your manager is available by phone, email, and real-time chat to help you effortlessly run employee onboardings and terminations. Encourage good performance. Make sure your business stays compliant with ever-changing HR regulations. With Bambi's HR Autopilot, you can automate the most important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. In fact, Bambi clients are four times less likely to have a complaint filed against them. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Ben Shapiro under podcast when you sign up, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E.com, B-A-M-B-E-E.com, Bambi.com. Also type in Ben Shapiro to let them know that we sent you. Folks, you might be one of the wise folks who realized it was time you stopped giving your money to woke razor companies that hate you and you bought a Jeremy's razor instead. As if the thought of making a woke company poor wasn't enough of an incentive, we have something amazing for you. You ready for this? The Jeremy's Razors contest for the car. So remember that commercial where Jeremy was driving around a McLaren 600 LT? You remember that? You can win that car now. Seriously, you can win that car. For every person you refer, whether they buy a Jeremy's Razor kit or a Daily Wire annual membership, you get points in the race to win the McLaren. That is correct. You could win like a $250,000 car just for referring friends and family members to Jeremy's Razors or DW+. If you get enough folks to sign up for Jeremy's Razors, you could win the McLaren. I'm biased because I know that my audience is the best, but let's face it, you are, and it would make me proud if someone in my audience won this car. You know what you have to do. Sign up for the contest and start competing by going to jeremysrazors.com slash play. The race for the car ends November 1st, 2022. Get in the competition today. Again, this could be you. You could be driving around in like a quarter million dollar car. See terms and conditions for complete details at jeremysrazors.com slash referral terms. The program is open only to legal U.S. residents residing in the United States, D.C., excluding residents of Colorado, Connecticut, Maryland, Puerto Rico, and U.S. territories and possessions 18 and older. Remember, Friends don't let friends shave with woke razors. Also, my book club, Ben Shapiro's book club, is back tomorrow for a whole new episode at 8 p.m. Eastern on dailywireplus.com. This month's book is All the King's Men, maybe the greatest political novel ever written. The book is, is really about Huey Long and his rise and fall in Louisiana, but it's much deeper than that. It's about the nature of politics and can it change lives and and how people allow power to corrupt them in pursuit of utopia. You have to be an all-access member to join in on the fun. Head on over to dailywireplus.com, become a member today, join us tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. So when we speak of a group of elite people who are utterly disconnected from the implications of their own policy, obviously this applies to the Biden administration when it comes to illegal immigration. Joe Biden's absolute lack of care for the people living along the border who have to undergo the travail of, of integrating hundreds of thousands, millions of people every year on the border because he refuses to do his job and actually close the border. It's an astonishing thing. It really is amazing. So 
For example, Joe Biden yesterday did an interview. Well, actually, he did a press conference. And at this press conference, he suggested he's doing his best to stop the flow. He said this while clutching his binder, which is always a sign of, of mental health. Here was the president of the United States. What's on my watch now is Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua. And the ability to send them back to those states is not rational. You could send them back and have them wait. We're working with Mexico and other countries to see if we can stop the flow. But that's the difference. Oh, so they're doing an amazing job. And then he like tries to run from the room. But somebody asks him about Ron DeSantis sending illegal immigrants to Delaware so that Joe Biden can actually see what illegal immigration looks like and not foist it off on a bunch of people who he's never seen, doesn't care about. And Kamala Harris has never visited the border. His borders are. And here was Joe Biden's absolutely cavalier response. He should come visit. We should have a, we have a beautiful shoreline. By the way, Governor DeSantis should visit Delaware. He should travel to Delaware with the woman who was in a commercial yesterday released by the Florida governor talking about how one of her relatives was murdered by an illegal immigrant. He should. He should go to Delaware and he should force Joe Biden to answer questions about why he maintains the worst border policy I've ever seen in my life and statistically speaking, the worst border policy in American history. If two million people were going to enter the United States over the course of the last year illegally, it could be a lot higher than that. Depends on if you count the gotaways or not. We've had two million people who have had border encounters this year. There have been two million border encounters. Some of those people may be repeats. That's an enormous number. And Joe Biden is, is, is laughing this off with Ron DeSantis should visit Delaware. Meanwhile, it is now being reported that the White House is very angry at anybody who reports on this. According to Politico, there's a tall Fox News reporter in his mid-30s with slick back hair and an air of combative indignation who's getting under the skin of some people in Joe Biden's administration. It's not Peter Ducey. Bill Malugan, a former local LA Emmy-winning reporter, has become a growing presence online and in broader political circles as Fox's go-to reporter at the U.S. Southern border. He's done hundreds of television hits since joining the network last year, largely from border states where he often focuses on the historic flow of migrants that are overwhelming communities there. In recent days, several current and former White House and administration officials expressed to West Wing Playbook their increasing frustration with his on-air coverage, arguing there's an alarmist quality to it designed to feed political narratives rather than illuminate the actual issues feeding the migrant flow. Last week, he was the first to break the news that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis chartered two planes to transport 50 Venezuelan migrants from Texas to Martha's Vineyard to make a political statement about immigration. He followed up that story with appearances on Fox News Opinion Primetime, which some of Fox's straight news reporters notably avoid, and a series of exclusives on DeSantis' escalating fight with the Biden White House over, over migrants. Malugan has helped to usher in a new style of coverage of the issue by the network. He's part of a more technologically savvy generation of Fox reporters and producers, whose work leans more heavily on on-the-ground reporting, augmented by soaring aerial drone footage of migrants crossing the border. The technique gives the story a dramatic visual scale Fox pundits use to bolster their arguments about the enormity of the problem. Oh, so the problem is how that information is being used. It's not that it's false. It's that it might lend credence to the argument that Joe Biden doesn't care about the border and has left it wide open. As Malugan has become an increasingly visible figure on the network, his coverage has caught the attention of the White House, which has become increasingly irritated by his report. Wait, I was, I was informed reliably by sources that when Donald Trump attacked the press, it was an attack on freedom of the press and therefore on our democracy. When this White House sends out unnamed sources to Politico to rip a reporter for, you know, just sending a drone over the border to show how many people are crossing the Rio Grande illegally, then the White House is very mad about it and it's totally fine. During a press conference last week, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre noted Fox News got the heads up on Martha's Vineyard before local, state, and federal agencies. One administration official who used to work on immigration issues told the West Wing Playbook the Biden team has complained about the lack of nuance in the network's coverage. Oh, well, as we all know, the media are, are 
on the left are completely nuanced about border. They, I mean, it's not as though they are complaining right now in the media that, that Ron DeSantis sending 50 people on an air-conditioned charter flight to Martha's Vineyard, maybe the most beautiful spot in the United States this time of year. It's not like they're comparing that to the Holocaust on network news. Um, but, you know, it, it's the nuance. That's, really, that, that's what they're really upset about over at the White House. So these elitists are more concerned about how they are being covered than they are about the actual problem of a vast wave of illegal immigrants washing across the American border. That's what they're worried about. That's what they're really, really upset about. This is how you end up with John Stewart, right? Who's the new moral imprimatur of the left, right? John Stewart is now the most moral man in America. They put him on the cover of magazines, even though he's well past his prime. He's a sausage that was left out in the sun way too long. And, uh, and here, is, here is John Stewart explaining that the path to Republican power lies in what he calls addictionness. It's very obvious at this point that the path to Republican power lies in. And there, I don't know that there is a political platform or an ideology other than. And, uh, you, you know, this stunt did exactly what he wanted it to do, which is jumped his profile, mm -hmm. uh, made him a hero amongst those uh, for whom is one of the sole characteristics that they're looking for in their leaders. Uh, it probably angered Trump because nobody's going to be a bigger than me. Like this is going to be, imagine the season that we're in where they are trying to one-up each other in utter cruelty. In utter cruelty. It's about the cruelty. Now, it doesn't matter, again, that we have thousands of migrants who are dying every year because of the open border policy. It doesn't matter that we had 53 people die in Bear County in Texas in the back of a truck because of this border policy. The real problem is if you oppose Joe Biden's agenda, then you must be an emissary of dishness, according to John Stewart. Because again, oppose the global elites and you are opposing the collective intelligence of the smartest people on planet Earth. Doesn't matter that the, their policies are failing and that they've really hurt an enormous number of Amer Americans culturally, economically, and physically in many cases. That doesn't matter. The smartest people are in charge. And if you doubt the smartest people, then you're the one who really needs to be put down. All righty, guys, the rest of the show is continuing. Now you're not going to want to miss it. We're going to be getting more into the fight between Ron DeSantis and Joe Biden. We're also going to be getting into the bizarre fight inside the White House about whether COVID is over or not. If you're not a member, click the link in the description and join us.